0: I always keep a spit bucket, because the spit bucket is your friend.
1: Well, if hanging out and drinking is something that you want to do, well, let me introduce you to my boys Mad and true. For fun and laughs and spirits, there's just one place to go. It's time for the Whiskey Tequila Friday Show. Whiskey Tequila
2: Fridays show with my boys, Matt and Drew. All right. Happy Friday, Drew. Happy Friday, Matt. And happy Friday to everybody, including Mike. We are back for part two of Whiskey Tequila Fridays, our podcast where we drink some whiskey. We drink some tequila. We educate and we libate. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to part one. We are still with Mike and Drew. I'm going to let you reintroduce him back in and uh, get us back on track here.
1: Back with us on the Zoom call is Mike Morales, Master Catador, the Tasting Director at Tequila Aficionado Media. He is a longtime tequila and agave spirits industry pro. And Mike, when we broke off for the last episode, you were talking about your Catador program and some of your tasters. Who else is on that list? What, What else do you want to mention about
0: that? We have another taster that that works with us, and his name is Eric Zandona. He's uh, one of the founding members of the American Distilling Institute. That guy, I throw him in the kitchen sink. When we get agave spirits from other countries, I want his name on it. Because First of all, I don't have a bar for for some of these other agave spirits, whether they come out of Peru, India. I've had them from New Zealand. I have had uh, one from Australia. I'm hoping to get—there's a new one coming out from Australia. It's beautiful to taste— What these guys are doing with blue agave and growing it in their region and how the plant, when it's done right and and is allowed to grow at a certain age or a certain amount of bricks, what the terroir is reminiscent of that country. I remember getting uh, samples we got from Black Snake Distillery in Australia, and they make theirs similar to a mezcal, right? And there was something there that we couldn't place. There was something that you can watch that, that review. It's kind of fun to watch because I'm going, wait a minute. It wasn't until I read the notes on their website. That said, that's what I'm getting. It's not mint. It's eucalyptus. Ugh. That's the wood that they're using to burn, you know, to cook the agave. It's like, oh, my God, I would berserk because that's that extra layer that is reminiscent of their region, where they're from. We had stuff uh, from Germany called Selva Negra, and they make theirs from another type of agave, but it's distilled in a black forest. It's spectacular. This thing for me, global. Sure. We're a global mm-hmm. company. Tequila aficionado is global.
1: Mike, earlier in part one, you were talking about your job being f- to, to find new agave spirits, and clearly you're doing that across the world. But what else is there in Mexico that you think we should know about?
0: Even within the areas of the denomination of origin, there are other uh, now they can come into the country as agave spirits. So, uh, for instance, in mezcal, there are certain distillers who are preferring not to play the politics that the CRM or Comercam is playing, and they still make it their way. And they're coming. They're coming in as destilados de agave. And there's one particular uh, company that that's like a subscription company called uh, Maguey Melate, and the curator goes out to he goes into the dongles. And curates these beautiful varieties from different distillers in different areas. And I've had pechugas, which which are mm-hmm. third three distillations, and the third one is usually usually is chicken. I've had venison pechuga. I have had sotol infused with rattlesnake. My taster, uh, my uh, taster in in Denver recently had a sotol a sotol pechuga with rattlesnake. Yeah. So there's so much creativity and when you talk about pichugas like that's you know they were they were celebratory ceremonious that wasn't something that you made all the time and it's like oh my god it's like your mind is blown and that's the beautiful part about discovering you know learning how your palate works learning how your mind works to learn these flavor profiles the aroma profiles you ask me what my job is the other thing is when when you do tequila tastings or you do mezcal tastings encourage the consumer to come up with his own descriptors. You know, a lot of us read these flavor notes and they're going, oh, lemongrass and and this and you know, uh I could say honeysuckle. I've had honeysuckle. If you if you know what a honeysuckle bush does, you take the stem, you yeah. you know, you take the blossom and you lick it off. It is honeysuckle. Do you know what that is, right? Matt loves we'll
1: honeysuckle. Yes. Yeah.
0: I've done that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Back when I lived in New Mexico, that's how I found out what honeysuckle bushes were, you know, or or jasmine we have a jasmine bush here but see, even those plants smell different in other other countries like mm-hmm. jasmine in a tropical country is much heavier here in california because the weather's drier it doesn't carry as far but it's still prominent i encourage people to come up with your own descriptors because that way they own it you own it sure. you know those descriptors that are written out for you those descriptors are valid But the the consumer's descriptors are just as valid.
2: Yeah, Mike, your show, Sipping Off the Cuff, is a lot of things, but it's also very much a, a tasting show. And I'd like to think that one of the similarities with our show is that we are also primarily a tasting show. And I agree completely that you need to be able to have some experience with what you're nosing and smelling because taste is subjective. But it's also something you can grow, you can expand, and you can develop that palate.
0: Some consumers are not, they're not trained like we teach them in our, in our book. We teach them, you know, don't be afraid to raid somebody's uh, spice cabinet. Maybe you're not a chef. Maybe you're not a cook. Have them teach you, get your hands dirty. Uh, we have a tool, part of the course uh, materials is an aroma wheel, aroma flavor wheel that was devised by Ana Maria Romero Mena, who is genius master distiller. She's responsible for tequilas like Corrido Migenta, several others. We've been in communication. She's been a big supporter of Tequila Aficionado for years. And she originally came from the perfume industry. Her claim to fame is she's known to have been able to distinguish up to 300 different aromas and flavors and what part of the process those are coming from.
2: Wow. Okay.
0: So we translated her aroma wheel from Spanish to English. And that's part of it. We give her full credit because she's the genius. We're just, you know, the translators. And every one of the guys and the girl that graduated this course was using it religiously when they did their ratings. There's always a whiskey wheel. There's a bourbon wheel. There's a hot chocolate wheel. There's a cigar wheel. <laughs> there have been wheels have been adapted from tequila. There are people out there trying to reinvent the wheel, you know, trying to give the consumer what they want. That, that's not us. Okay. Okay. I know what wet cement smells like. You ever, you, ever what? you ever wet down your garage in the hot summer and just let it steam up? Yeah, or or yeah. if you lived in the, in the Southwest, I can smell rain before it hits the, the, the ground. Rain on asphalt smells different than rain on cement. Sure. So when I taste wet cement in a tequila, that gives me clues. Or if I taste anise in a tequila, it gives me clues where it's coming from. Don't be afraid to, to stick your nose in something. Come up with your own descriptors. It doesn't taste like avocado, but if you say, well, kind of like guac, that's just as valid. In the aroma wheel, in fact, let me bear with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull this out because I, I do keep it nearby. This wheel here, and I don't know if you can see that on my camera, but it, it tells you where, where these aromas and flavors are coming from. You ever have a whiskey that kind of tastes a little musty, like the barrel was a little moldy or something? Yeah, or
2: even even some aged cognacs can really have that musty, that musty note to it. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. You know, you got to take a lot of variables into consideration before you can form an opinion.
2: Yeah. One of our catchphrases or mottos is educate and libate. Again, we're primarily a, a tasting show. And I'd like to think we leave the deep dive up to other shows, maybe like yours.
1: Mike, where do you think the break should be between a tasting show, a review show, and something that's more educational?
0: Frankly, when you see some of these some of these Instagrammers or you see some of the some of the other everybody's doing reviews of whatever, you know, they're just shooting from the hip and they don't they don't take the time to dissect. And the way I see it, anybody that's serious about doing education is to tell people to encourage them to do your own research. Don't take what I tell you as gospel. Don't let me tell you what to drink. Don't let you guys tell them what to drink. Tell them what you like. Tell them what you discern. And if you've had it, tell us what you think. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and, and and let them form their own opinions, but give them a reason to maybe make them more um,
1: curious. I want to get back to the tequila aficionado consumer catador course the book and the course that you've created to help people dig in and 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 fulfill that curiosity how would you say you built that course and who is it for and and what were your goals with that
0: when we constructed the course we knew off the bat that some people were just going to take it on a superficial level everybody that bought this book didn't send in their homework i know that but i knew that the ones that did were serious and I'll tell you what, there are some really discerning people out there. You know, they want to improve their their knowledge. And not one person has said to us, we didn't learn something by taking this course. Like I said, like, uh, when a guy who's got several certifications, who is now learning to be a cheesemaker, a master cheesemaker, uh, <laughs> says to you, I, I learned something every time. That's really gratifying. That means that, that, that we did our job. You know, we're on the right track we knew they were some people were going to go deeper and deeper i was just going to give them enough information and who to follow who to study which i knew this was going to run the gamut from the average joe to the mixologist to the to the nerd you know and so i tried to make it we tried to make it in layers so that would anybody that wanted to go as deep as they possibly could into this rabbit hole wouldn't get lost but at least you know would go you know what i like this rabbit hole and i'm going to get me a mining hat you know <laughs> cuz i need i need more light you know what I mean? Uh, I'm not done excavating yet a
2: little further yeah. yeah
0: because here's the other thing we didn't know that the diffuser had been used by eradura since two thousand to two thousand and ten. We didn't know they didn't tell us oh nobody yeah. knew what it did. I remember one day I was I was doing a tequila tasting um, at a restaurant a chain of restaurants. And uh, a bartender friend of mine who worked for this restaurant chain, he he had a bottle of Erradura with him. He says, remember when, you know, that thing about about you used to be able to take the tequila or a mezcal and you want to see bubbles. I always do the shake of the bubbles. Do you want to see the bubbles? He goes, how come I'm not not getting bubbles? It doesn't, I don't know. I said to myself, first of all, I don't know. Secondly, that's unusual. That's really rare. Now it makes total sense. They were diffusing it where it took the character out, and what happened was during that time before the before the sale of Erradura to Brown Foreman, there was a group of mixologists that that refused to carry Erradura until they fixed the problem. So really? now they say that they don't; they only use the diffuser post cooking and shredding. So in other words, they're using it as a glorified shredder to get every single ounce of juice. However, they're using it fully with El Jimador, which is their mm-hmm. secondary line and considered what the lo- the biggest selling tequila in Mexico and great for margaritas and it doesn't taste like anything. It's it's vodka.
2: Right. Yeah, Mike Drew brought a bottle of the Herodura 92 proof Blanco and we had that on a couple of our shows. And we both enjoyed a little funk that came out of that, right, Drew? And is, that, <laughs> yeah. is, that, is that the character, maybe? I hope that's the character that he's talking about.
1: I, I hope it's the character and not the diffuser. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that would be, yeah, that would be bad news. But, yeah, we really enjoyed that Blanco. And it tasted like a fairly clean Blanco, right? Just that little funky character to it.
1: Yeah, and I think I cut it from the show, but I have heard... Mike, you talk about shaking the bottle and seeing if you get bubbles. And the 92 proof definitely gets bubbled up. Uh, One thing we didn't cut from the show was that we were glad we weren't sipping on Hemador. (laughs) Yeah. Because
0: of how terrible that brand has become. A a mixologist worth his salt is not going to use bad juice to make a crafted cocktail. You're just not.
1: So, Mike, if we didn't know about the diffuser for almost 10 years... You know, what do you think could be happening now?
2: And how does that relate to that transparency you were talking about?
0: I think now with, with technology and with the Internet and with social media, we need to stay on top of, of what the industry is doing. Think about this. We have no idea right now what revelations we're going to see in five years that they were doing now. Heard. They yeah. don't reveal to us until until later on. Imagine that. There's always a disparity between the transparency that the consumer wants, that the consumer is demanding, and what tequila is willing to give them. Because remember, the liquor industry does not answer to the FDA, okay? That's why FDA for for like um, RTDs, we see a slew of RTDs. And when you look at the RTD, it's got to have a calorie count. It's got to have the ingredients. But the FDA requires that labeling. Until the FDA requires labeling on tequila labels, you're never going to see... Uh, made with a diffuser. It's got this kind of additives. FD&C yellow number five. You're not going to see that. <laughs> right. Those are two separate branches of the government. People don't understand how tequila gets into the country. So we go through all that as in depth as we can, superficially as we can, without getting political because we don't we don't answer the politics. You know, mm-hmm. we're not beholden to any brands. But I will tell you that you know a lot of these people who are reputable. They're named in the back of our book as some people that, that really have shaped my, my palate and my life and who you should follow some more. I'm hoping that this kind of material and other material, other, other, other books, follow the same idea with the education of the public in mind so that they understand how The Rock can say that his tequila small batch. How <laughs> Titos can say, yeah, it's the same way that Titos was saying, handcrafted, small <laughs> batch. Wait a minute. One million they cases got, at a time. Well, yeah, but they got – well, Patron says the same thing too. We're still a small batch. Yeah, we have 10 people touch every bottle. 60 people <laughs> touch every bottle. Uh, yeah, you got 10 rooms at 60 people each. Pretty soon, you're not only getting the lot number, but what? You're going to give me the room number? What room did this come from? <laughs> because that room number five tastes better than room number 10. That's what I'm talking about, illusory transparency. Okay. And when you understand that the parent organization, the parent company of Patron is Bacardi, mm-hmm. Bacardi, they're an offshore company. They're not even a publicly traded company. They don't have to report Jack to anybody. You know, when you drill down or or go up, you're going to find where the where there's no real transparency there. And there's a lot of loopholes in the tequila industry, a lot of loopholes in the rules.
2: Well, as it relates to, you know, this transparency that you're talking about what would be the answer how how could you or us or anyone fix it
0: the only suggestion that i've heard that makes any sense to me uh would be either to follow the labeling that mezcal has for the styles of mezcal so you'll have ancestral tequila artisanal tequila industrial tequila i'll go for that sure or you have a different denomination of origin one for the industry And one for craft. That's going to take more work. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. I don't know if there's an answer for that. Except that, you know, the 80% of the tequila exported from Mexico comes to us. The more palates we can help discern what they're tasting. And show them the differences between a well-made tequila or agave spirit versus... And I'm talking about any agave spirit. I'm, I'm talking about even the micro... Anyway, that's just me going on a rant and a tirade. And I'm sorry, I've kind of taken over your show. (laughs)
2: It's all good.
1: If someone wants to take the course and and learn a little bit more, what's that process?
0: Yeah, you can buy it on Amazon. You can go to our website, tequilaficionado.com. I'm hoping that perhaps later on, once we, we initiate some changes, that I can have the course as an online course as well. The original intent when uh, our managing partner and I put this together was to have an online course. And I had voiced and recorded all the, you know, all the chapters myself. So, and right at the last minute after, after I did, uh, voiced and, and recorded all the chapters, the, the managing partner says to me, Mike, what do you think about doing a book? I said, God, you're <laughs> killing me. Really? So the material is there. Right now it's not available that way but it is available as, as a book in book form. And you can go, you know, you can buy it and just go as superficial as you want. But if you want to do the homework, I think it would help. Even if you do the homework and don't send it in to me, it would be awesome for you to get your hands dirty, do some ratings, experiment with what's available in your in your area, in your city, in your town. The students we had came from everywhere, Germany, uh, Canada. Honestly, if you're a Somme or a bourbon steward, or a newbie, or, or a chef. You know, I don't even, I don't care. But the fact that we've opened your, your eyes up to something new that you didn't know you were gonna love, that you, you didn't think you needed, we were on the right track. And that to me is gratitude enough. I like that it's a functioning tool. I like that our book has substance. We even have a, a section that I call mouth yoga, where you, t- you teach them how to use their palate by using water. You know, because to do these techniques, the stuff that we do, you've seen me on camera. Sometimes I'll hold it in my mouth, or you you hold it between your your lips and your and your gum. You want that lip numbness, but it's hard to do if you're not used to that. I'll tell you what, you hold a, a 110 blanco in your mouth, you're gonna get burns. Yeah, it will burn you if you're not careful. You yeah. have that you don't have that callus in there. You you know what it's like, right? the, the wild turkey, you don't want to hold that in your mouth too long. I was talking earlier about the dulce vida in their 5 year. That's that's no joke, man. You really got to be a seasoned bourbon or wine drinker and tequila drinker. You got to be like all three to handle that cuz that's that's like what Jack Nicholson says you you can't handle the truth. You know? <laughs> that's that's a that's a Jack Nicholson tequila right there, man. <laughs> What a lot of folks don't understand is how their their mind works when it comes to discerning flavors and aromas. The idea of aromas are most closely related to memories. And if you know where your mind accesses memories, you'll know how to pinpoint and how to install these flavor notes into your database a lot easier. To my knowledge, nobody is teaching it the way I'm doing it. It's a whole segment that I'm still experimenting with, mm-hmm. but it's been pretty successful. It's really easy. But you have to understand how your mind accesses information. Let's put it this way: if the aroma gives you a memory, that memory is as good a descriptor as anything else. Yeah. You sure. for-
2: yeah, no, it's 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 not just snickerdoodle, it's your grandmother's snickerdoodle. Thank you. When you were a child and it's coming out of the oven someone else might relate that cinnamon to something else in their childhood or their previous experiences. I'm a physical therapist by trade. So I know where the olfactory nerve is processed and how it's right next to the memory storage of the brain. And that's why those connectors are so immediate and they're so closely bound together because it's it's all in this right, that, that front part of the brain. But i I love how when we talk about something that's floral, uh, maybe like even like a herbal tea, you know, it's not just that you had tea before. It's that you're relating the memory of perhaps sitting down in a, a nice quiet moment with a friend or a family and you had some herbal tea. And at that moment, there was no other things to distract. There were no other factors going on. It was just you and your, you know, your friend or your brother or your mother and that tea and that moment and that memory and that's what's that's what that connection is
0: in a, in a previous interview I brought this up and I, I think I completely lost the hosts you know during the pandemic we saw a lot of depression a lot of overdrinking a lot of suicides a lot of people who couldn't cope and not all of it is due to mental illness I think a lot of it was due because as human beings, we don't have those moments anymore where, you know what? I'm just going to sit here with my cup of coffee. I'm going to watch the squirrels eat. You know what I mean? We don't do that often enough. Cigar smokers do. And they don't do it because of the tobacco. They do it because it's an hour that I get to myself. Okay? When you're talking about uh, tea, some of the most beautiful tea ceremonies, are the, Jap- the Japanese got it right. Okay? What I try to teach Ultimately, to be present or to be zen. There's a zen in tequila. Be at one with yourself. To me, the vehicle's tequila. My vehicle could be hot chocolate. It could be baking, right? When people ask me, what what does baked agave smell like? Maybe they may never see a distillery. They may never go to one. I say it smells like fresh pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving. The streets in tequila smell to me, that's what it brings to me. That's yeah. my memory. That's what it smells like. What does it taste like? I'll tell you what. I went on that trip to the distillery that, that makes Santofino, I told everybody, once we'd walked around the distillery, they still had some shredded agave that they hadn't that they hadn't picked up. I said, I want you to get a chunk of agave. We're going to head over to the the barbecue area where they were waiting for us. The, The owner of the distillery was just sitting there smoking a cigarette, having a good time, enjoying the scenery. Right. And I said, we're going to take this wedge of baked agave that's been shredded. And I'm going to take your Blanco and I want everybody to dip it in their Blanco and then suck the juice off the wedge. What that's going to do is it's going to imprint in your head what baked agave is. And how it translates into the juice. Even the owner of the distillery said, "I've never seen that technique before." <laughs> it's like that's what I mean by by experiment. Get in there and get your hands dirty, you know. But to 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 me, it's it's helping the consumer be at one with himself to be to be present. And that's what you know. Uh, I think Matt, you should take what you know. And use that. Use what you know where the receptors are to your advantage. Because I think the only ones that may be doing those, could be wine psalms. And I'm not sure they're teaching it that way.
1: Yeah. Actually, Mike, Matt is really good at this. I think I'm the weak one in the tasting descriptor department because I might pull out a flavor, but it's very simple. Like this is like grass or this is cherry cola. And matt you've got the incredible descriptors
2: well yeah i mean give yourself some credit but yeah i do think that i learned a great deal going to wine tastings and learning through uh, my palate associating those things with different different cooking aromas different baking type of scents and smells
0: every time i do a tasting with one of our tasters somebody says yeah remember when we were kids we had those butterscotch candies yeah that's what you know we automatically had a, a a a memory, and I'll I'll do a lot of that during our tastings. I'll I'll bring up a memory or something like that, and that was somewhere lost until we brought it up. You know, sure. So I say go for it, man, and and encourage people to do the same, and just to be with themselves. Apparently, you've you've had a lot of a lot of tea or a lot of time with one person or two people together. You know, that's why people go to the pub. You know, in in Europe they get it. They don't go there for the booze. They go there to commiserate or they go there to be one with each other and to solidify friendships. You know, even in Mexico, it's done that way. You know, this is a three hour tequila lunch. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's you how you do business.
2: Yeah. No hurry yeah. whatsoever.
0: No. huh? No. And, and, and it's taking your time. And and I think that's what I think it's what happened when I saw a lot of mental uh, and other types of uh, emotional problems that, that were going on. I like that you're
1: touching on this, this
0: lack of
1: connectedness and that this lack of silent moments, this is something that we really preach about in our show, right, Matt?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, don't collect these bottles, crack them open, invite your friends over, share them, have those moments together with them.
1: Yeah. When we're posting the episode, I think every single description of the episode always ends with grab these bottles sip them with your friends and and make it a happy Friday. Yeah, I mean, that's that was the whole point. And just like this podcast was born from the pandemic, Matt, I think you and I were looking for that connectedness that that we had been missing. And I think the pandemic really accelerated that. And Mike, what else do you see, like maybe that the pandemic and the, the agave boom has accelerated? Like, where do you see the next crack in the foundation of tequila? people were buying super
0: premium booze especially tequila I mean look what happened to drizzly drizzly went from nothing to being sold for several million dollars in one year one year now it's the race to to beat vodka and that's what I'm afraid of I I don't if the tequila industry lets that happen and I've said this before publicly and in fact I was interviewed by the San Francisco tequila shop not that long ago and I said the same thing there I said if it, if it doesn't stop this runaway train, it's going to implode on itself like an old Vegas casino, man. All we're going to see is the smoke, and then something else will pop up. The main distillers aren't going to lose any money, all right, because people forget what's in their portfolio. Well, if they got vodka, we'll just make it up there. And then, when the tequila industry decides to come back because they're going to have to invest again in in smaller brands to build up that industry, the tequila industry is back on the rise. Everybody loves a, a, a comeback story, right? Right. It's all how they spin it. I'm not trying to paint a, a conspiracy theory. That's just how the business works. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why are global distillers wanting to push this let's beat vodka? Well, because we're losing money on the vodka thing. But then we push tequila all the way out. It's a shakeout because the smaller brands may or may not survive. And then what happens? Well, then we build up vodka again. See? or whiskey. And and the some of the other ones are investing now in Sotol. That's why you see Noche Luna. That's why you'll see uh, Dos Hombres.
2: Oh, yeah, Mike. I've tried that bottle and I was really impressed. Thought that at first celebrity bottle, I should be a little leery, but I've tasted that and it is phenomenal.
0: To their credit, Dos Hombres, they're making it r- really well. They're doing the right thing. I know the person that guided Brian Cranston and um, Aaron Paul on their quest to find a great palenque to make their mezcal. When I found that out, and this gentleman writes articles for us uh, occasionally, uh, that spoke volumes to me. Because I know that this man, he's very careful who to expose to his palenqueros. He always brings toys and things for the kids. And he's been doing this for 30 some odd years in Oaxaca. He's an expat Canadian. When someone of integrity brings in celebrities and exposes these celebrities to his great Balenques, that speaks volumes to me. And, and again, you're not going to know that until you do the research. Otherwise, you just think, oh, it's another, it's another celebrity mezcal. It's a well-made celebrity mezcal.
2: Yeah, I like it. It's good.
0: Yeah, it's very well made. It comes in at 42 uh, ABV. So it's just above gateway, you know, just enough character to make it interesting. And they work their company, man. Those guys work hard. Yeah, they're celebs and they go to South by Southwest and they're behind the bar and they're handing you the shot or the the, the cocktail, whatever it is that they're making. But they work their business. So, But they're, but they're moving into Ricea? Okay. I, I had heard that. Ricea is beautiful. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. There are Riceeros that we're talking about like moonshiners. Those guys, oh my goodness. The problem with ricea is that it can only be distilled in certain municipalities of Jalisco. Okay. And they can do several different plants, but they can't use blue agave. Uh, and their method of cooking the plant is a lot different. It's not so much below ground as above ground. In, in like adobe ovens. And I got to tell you, the quality of the riceas that we've had are sipping off the cuff. Uh, one in particular comes to mind really clearly is Balaam ricea. They showed us pictures of their master distiller, and I swear he looks like the moonshiners. But the finesse and the quality and the refinement of the riceas that are coming from, from this guy and from that region, amazing. Amazing. It's a misnomer to call it moonshine. All of these, Mescal was considered moonshine. Bacanora was considered moonshine. Sotol was considered moonshine. Raicia, for sure, was considered moonshine. For lack of a better term at that time, because that was during prohibition or whatever internal prohibition those particular states had, you made it outlaw. You know, it's romantic. It, again, the marketers have taken it as, hey, it's romance. It's, they went up in the hills. Well, they going up to the hills because they weren't going to get killed. You know, they're going to get bothered by the, by the federales of their own state. You know, now it's a it's a it's something to be proud of. And every state where you can make like sotol, for instance, comes in three different states, they're all different. Durango tastes different than, than Chihuahua, you know, and then Texas Sotol, or whatever they're wanting to call it, deslerian Texanum is the, the actual plant, tastes different than the deslerian wheelery. So the two different strains of the same deslerian It, it takes research. And not being afraid to dive into something that you've never had before. The beautiful part about mezcal or anything, any of the other agave spirits is that, I know I said we try to keep our tastings like around 20 minutes or 15 minutes, but it's hard to do when when the liquid keeps evolving in your glass.
2: Yeah, right. right. The same sample,
0: the same pour, the same pour, and I'm sure you get that with some of these tequilas too, the same Mm -hmm. pour that starts evolving. And we, oh my God! Now wait! Now it's something else, and now it's something.
2: Yeah, Mike, we definitely notice how spirits can evolve, both whiskey and tequila, both in the glass and even in the bottle after you crack it. Yeah, we're always talking
1: about. We'd rather have an open bottle that's been sitting for two weeks that has a little age on it.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> Matt and I, Mike. Matt and I have been talking a lot about doing a show specifically on glassware. And we've both noticed that you have
0: kind of a variety of glassware. Do you want to talk about that? We use three different glasses. We use, a, a, at times, I'll use a real glass. We use a Stasso Jarrito, which I don't have one up here. It's made by the same company that makes Glencairn. And we'll use a Glencairn as well. So those are our glassware of choice. And depending on the glassware, sometimes it makes a big difference. I think um, Glen Cairn also makes a, they call it a Canadian blended whiskey glass. It's got a much wider mouth surface. It's white and it's kind of tapered at the, at the top. And I'll use that on occasion for mescal because all mm. you need to do is pour a splash of mescal on it and you get everything. It just comes right up. So I got a lot to say about glass where it's very important as well. Shot glasses, not not so much. No. Not so much. We, we've so always the fact got the that You the guys are using Glen Cairn yep. Yeah. And even the Riedel now, we feel that the Riedel, the the quality of tequila or the technology of tequila has outpaced the Riedel. If you know Mm. the story behind the Riedel, it was originally or it was commissioned by Casanova Tequila before it was bought by Constellation and whoever else owns it now. It was at that time in 2001, it was designed to elevate the, the image of tequila from a shooter to a more... Elegant spirit. Uh, a defined spirit. You're trying to present a better image, okay? In that time, the aged versions of tequila were given more respect than the unaged. So in other words, the Riedel glass was originally designed for the Reposado. Now that I've reverse engineered the, the grading system that we use by the, the Mexican Tequila Academy, we discovered that the Blancos were not given the respect that they are now because it was never meant to do that. The real was designed to work with the grading system. Okay, so they worked hand in hand. So anything that was aged, you know, the Reposado and the Añejo and the Extra Añejo was going to be given more merit and more points versus the Blanco. Hopefully in the next couple of years, we can come up with our own grading system kind of based on the same thing, but to give Blancos more of an edge. And the only way the Blanco is going to get that kind of respect is to maintain the quality that we're getting from those types of brands that you have behind you right now. And newer brands that come up. And even older brands that have been around for a long time that maybe aren't given the, the respect that they deserve. I mean, anything from the Orandine family, which is, again, one of the bigger distilling families in Mexico, all their stuff is spectacular. Fuente Seca, that line You go from Blanco to their Añejo, they're the same people I think that make Don Fulano. That's another one that's stellar. And those families have got decades, you know, of pedigree. So anyway, the glassware that is better for Blancos than the Riedel, and not that it's bad, but Riedel by and large kind of, for me, mutes a lot of the aromas and some of the flavor, but mostly aromas. You really gotta work it and get your nose in there so you can get a lot out of it. Whereas a, a Glencairn doesn't require a whole lot. You can break that up in three sections and you'll get that layered smell. As the North American rep for Glen Cairn said, said to us, whiskey should you should hold it right here in your solar plexus and it should come up and greet you. And <laughs> and because that's how the that's how the Glencairn was designed for that marty duffy we interviewed him years ago but he uh he was the first one to send us samples of glencairn i even have a glencairn copita which is kind of a, a rum or sherry glass that i like to use on occasion all their glassware is spectacular for different reasons stossel actually makes a bourbon nosing glass that was not bad either but i think the stossel Jarrito right now is to me the best glassware you can get for tequila there are others i really like how that one handles uh, and for presentation. The real, because champagne glasses don't cut it. Is there anything else that, that I can, you know, take your time on? Because now it's turned into my show. <laughs> and, uh, no, this has been great. This is great, no, this is great, Mike. This, this is, great. is
1: exactly what we wanted. We wanted the expert.
0: I, I don't call myself an expert. I, I know other people do. I, I'm the eternal student. I appreciate your guys' time. Thank you for, for letting me oh. you know, uh, hijack hijack oh, no. two hours of your time. Oh, thank gonna, you.
1: I definitely want to ask you, where can we find you on the
0: internet? Where are you on social media? Uh, you can you can find, of course, tequilaficionado.com. All of our social platforms are there. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We are on uh, Pinterest still. We are on, uh, we're not on TikTok. We are on YouTube. Th- those are our main channels. Uh, Instagram as well. Personally, you can follow me on, on Timber Elk. Also, also on Twitter as Timber Elk. Everything is is on our website. Everything's linked up. So if you want to get a, a magazine, you can subscribe there right on the website. Um we're easily accessible, at least myself and and you know the, the TA team, tequilaficionado.com. And follow these guys too. Make sure you follow you guys. You might have to have part one and part two on this show. <laughs> yeah. At least me. I don't know. Yeah.
2: You might break it up, but this has been great, man. We really appreciate oh, it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so thank much, you Mike. Me. Uh, thank you
0: for thinking of me. Thank you for thinking of me. I Thank you for reaching out on Facebook and going this route. And, and and that says a lot to me because you're not afraid to delve into stuff. Uh, like I say, keep experimenting with the dovetailing of the – and don't be afraid to show your dogs. You know, don't, don't be afraid to go, oh, this – have a show, but this one really sucked, folks. Don't do this. Don't try this at home. We are professionals. We took a we took one for the team. If you have, if you want to laugh, go watch our review of Casamigos. Yeah. That was terrible. Yeah. Oh my god. And I and it was one where it was like oh oh god you know we're like spitting it out you know, it was so bad we couldn't even I think the the taster I was thinking it was his name was Rick Rick said don't put this in your mouth. you know we we get close to graphic as possible don't don't do it uh guys i will let you go uh you don't mind if i sign off do you Uh, um thank Uh, you so much thank you i I know it's it's late where you guys are so enjoy the rest of your evening see you later thank you take care cheers bye-bye
2: so that will wrap it up for us guys we want to thank Mike Morales once again, and thank all of you for listening. Please like and follow and subscribe and all that good stuff. We have our Facebook group and our Instagram at Whiskey Tequila Fridays. We want to thank Joby once again for our music. We ask that you drink responsibly. And if you like drinking whiskey and you like drinking tequila, then it's always a Friday. Happy Friday, Drew. Happy Friday, Matt.
1: we appreciate y'all hanging but now it's time to go we'll come on back for more whiskey to key the Friday show
0: when your buddy throws up in the bar and it, and it goes in the, on the concrete <laughs> take a whiff and try to and you know yeah, I think salad